could taste was blood. And metal. Well, dear listeners, it seems that the meat macabre and the poultrygeist find themselves in something of a pickle. Basically, we drove our way out of Cabrini Green last month and found ourselves knocked out by some bloke in a pig mask when we stopped off for a ginsters and a leg stretch. To cut a long story short, we've woken up chained to opposite ends of what looks like an abandoned bathroom. Danny appears to be alright, and I'm fine, but there's what looks to be a dead bloke between us in the middle of the floor holding a handgun and tape recorder. Danny, mate, I'm not sure we're going to like where this is going. Me too, mate. I better switch the light on. I think you'd better. It might help us to find our predicament out, might it? Yeah, definitely. It might might help. But, boys and girls, regardless of what situation we find ourselves in, we still heartily welcome you to Disgusting Awful, the monthly horror movie review podcast where Danny and I critique our very favourite films from cinema's greatest genre. And Danny, if the boys and ghouls weren't already aware from that introduction, you've chosen quite the classic for us to talk about this week, haven't you? Oh, absolutely, mate. And this uh, film, definitely both of uh, one of our favourites. And today we'll be looking at Saw from 2004. Someone there? I can hear you. Who is that? Who's in there? Killer. Paul, find 
the past with a razor wire. Technically speaking, he's not really a murderer. He never killed anyone. Dr. Gordon, your aim in this game is to kill Adam. If you do not, then Diana will die. He finds ways for his victims to kill themselves. I'm sick of people who don't appreciate their blessings. I've given you a life purpose. Looks like our friend Jigsaw likes to book himself front row seats to his own sick games. He doesn't want us to cut through our chains. He wants us to cut through our feet. Most people are so ungrateful to be alive. Not anymore. You are a drug addict. Do you think that is why he picked you? He helped me. Don't believe Adam's lies. somebody and what is it about saw that made this a worthy choice then good memories of um watching it uh in a when i was uh i was 13 when this came out and um it's it's one that's always stuck with me um the characters in there were just so brilliant and yeah this just good memories of this awesome i mean i've got very good memories of this too uh, not just for the type of movie that it is but also for the kind of awakening that it had in me as a horror fan so i credit saw completely as the movie that opened my eyes to a world of what i like to call real world horror so so by that i mean that prior to me watching saw my wheelhouse in horror was completely subject matter that was steeped in fiction so for example your slasher villains yeah zombies vampires Cenobites, ghosts, none of it is real. Sorry to burst your bubble there, listeners, but <laughs> ghosts don't exist. So, films like Hostel didn't initially appeal to me because it was all too real, and that was what scared me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, fully, mate. And Host, um, Saw, yeah, yeah, that's a great way of putting it, actually. I can't top that. <laughs> no, so, I mean, I went along with the crowd when Saw came out, so. I watched it to see what all the fuss was about and mate I was absolutely hooked there's just something almost like cathartically comforting about the film so Mm. it kind of to me it stands in two very distinct camps so you've got that terrible reality that this could happen to anyone but there's also that air of ridiculousness that makes any horror insanely watchable so for all of the real world stuff that's going on i think when i first watched it the fact that there was a a quote-unquote character involved in the movie that represents the jigsaw killer you know the the billy doll that's what drew me in to begin with it was kind of like the writers had an idea that an icon character similar to a freddy krueger or jason Voorhees would draw viewers like me in because i had a very narrow view of horror at the time but the masterful story that's woven into the films as a franchise is what made me a fan yeah that's greatly said mate and i also chose it for a reason um i debated sharing this story um but i'm gonna share it 
so uh, in 2004, I was 13, I was living in a care home and um, I had a crush on one of the girls who lived there as well, who was also 13. And um, yeah, I, I had a good memory of um, sneaking into the cinema with her, but I'd, um, me and my, before that, me and my uh, brother were um, discussing uh, her and I, I told him how I felt about her. And then I had to go and sit in the same cinema with her next to her, knowing that she had um, heard all of what I said about her. <laughs> and it just didn't have a good um, ending to it. But it was, it was still a fun memory. Oh, mate, that's a shame. <laughs> but uh, thank you for sharing with us. That that must have been incredibly brave of you to do that as well, really. Yeah. What can you say? We've all had teenage love, can't you? <laughs> of course we have. And hey, you know, even if that didn't work out, the one thing yeah. that did work out is that you got to see one of the best modern horror movies of all time, eh? Oh, yeah, big time. That's the win of I take out of that. Excellent. And it was a win for James Wan and Lee 1L, who were the directors and writers of Saw, the 2004 American horror film. It's the first instalment in a wildly successful franchise and stars 1L, Carrie Elwes, Danny Glover, Monica Potter, Michael Emerson, Ken Lung and Tobin Bell. And the film revolves around the mystery of the jigsaw killer who tests his victim's will to live by putting them through deadly games where they must inflict great physical pain among themselves to survive. The plot of this first instalment follows Jigsaw's latest victims, played by Winnell and Elwes, who awaken in a large, dilapidated bathroom, with one being ordered to kill the other to save his own family. Winnell co-created the story with Wan in their respective screenwriting debuts and was originally written in 2001. But after failed attempts to get the script produced in one and Wanell's home country of Australia, they were urged to travel to Los Angeles in order to help attract producers. They shot a low-budget short film of the same name from a scene out of the script. This proved successful in 2003 as producers from Evolution Entertainment were immediately attached and also formed a horror genre production label, Twisted Pictures. The film was given a small production budget and was shot in 18 days. And have you seen the original short, pal? No, I haven't. Is it on a, a, a Blu-ray or a copy of it or an extra somewhere? So it does turn out that it is on the extras for the original Saw movie. Yeah. But I'd never seen it myself. So I actually saw it on YouTube a couple of days ago. So it's on there. I think it's called Saw 0.5 or something like yeah. that. But it, it's very cool. Um, you know, they, they shot it on a, a very, very small budget and it's very compelling. And um, I, the the main reason that I missed it the first time round is that I, I'm not normally someone that has a lot of time to go over special features. Like if I'm buying a movie on DVD or, or Blu-ray, it's particularly for the picture quality, really. I'm, I'm not always into kind of watching special features unless it's something that I'm a massive fan of um but you can see that the producers kind of believed in the story based on what they were watching um and of course the main part of the show ends up in sore anyway so uh you can tell that it was good yeah definitely i've just bookmarked it um nine minutes and 45 seconds so i'm really looking forward to uh getting into that as well 
yeah it's really good i i do recommend you watch it uh, but it is great and of course it all led to saw being put out to a bigger screening audience mm. so the finished product of saw was first screened on january the 19th 2004 at the 2004 sundance film festival before being released in north america on october the 29th 2004 by lionsgate the film received generally mixed reviews from critics, but grossed more than $100 million worldwide to become one of the most profitable horror films since Scream. It was theatrically re-released to select theatres on October the 31st, 2014 to celebrate its 10th anniversary. The first sequel, imaginatively titled Saw 2, was released relatively quickly in 2005. And I'm sure that we'll get to this when we eventually look at the sequels to Saw, Danny. But I absolutely love the lore of this franchise, the constant twists, the ongoing story, and the fact that a new movie is being released in 2023. Everything about it, it is quite literally one of my favourite franchises. Oh, same here, mate. I mean, it's up there with with all of them. And the fact that, as you said, they're releasing a new film. Have you seen the poster? I have, and I'm excited just by looking at a picture. I, I think this is going to be one of those movies where I really don't need to see a trailer. Yeah, same here. I mean, it's got the the picture on the new poster is is this bathroom from what we're going to be discussing from the first film. So that just gives it just it means that they're going back to the beginning from my perspective i mean it could be me meaning something completely different but i'm really excited i can't wait to see it no it would be really cool like if it kind of is you know i don't want to say a, a reboot but maybe kind of like a a resuscitation of the franchise mm. maybe so you know maybe going down a, a slightly different tack by having some recognizable elements maybe i mean I'm sure it'll all come to light with the the press leading up to the film being yeah. produced, maybe. Uh, but I, do you know what? I, I know I said that this is going to be one of those films where I maybe don't need to see a trailer. I think I'm purposely not going to look at any trailers. I, I want my first viewing of any of this to be in a cinema, I think. Yeah. It's just something that's going to be really, really good to see. It is. So with both creators being fresh out of film school, the inspiration for Saw came after watching The Blair Witch Project, a film that I can't believe got the love that it did, Danny. It's rubbish. Blair Witch Project, yeah. That just shocks me that this was the inspiration. Blair Witch Project was the inspiration. Wow. Because to me, um, Blair Witch I always prefer the second Blair Witch Project over the first, but yeah. Yes, thank you. So do I. So do I. Yeah. I can maybe see where some of the inspiration comes from in that it's a relatively limited number of cast members. It's quite sparsely shot. It's obviously shot on a budget. But I'm really glad that Saw got to fly where Blair Witch flounders because I, I did not get the fuss over that first movie. It's not the least bit scary. It's boring. They could have easily taken about half an hour out of it and just left it be. Yeah, I think the best thing to come from Blair Witch Project is, I believe Stevie Richards did um, a parody of it on, maybe I think it was ECW. Um, I don't know if it was called the Blair Bitch Project. I, I don't know. Oh, no, that was um, WWF, mate, him and the Blue oh, Meanie. 
Oh, right, yeah, 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 that makes sense now. Yeah, I think that was the best thing to come out of the first film. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and even that lasted all of a week. They didn't even finish that off properly. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Wanol had stated in interviews that the idea of containing a lot of the film in one room with two principal actors appealed to their limited budget as well, um, allowing for the two to craft ideas while keeping the film contained. And to be honest, Danny, I think this waiting for Godot style of cinematography where the vast majority of the action is just between the two principal actors actually gives the film one of its best features. I mean, how many films can be this compelling without the viewer realising that there's not actually an awful lot going on? Yeah, uh, I think to me, the one that uh, draws very much comparison to this is, um, have you seen Buried? Yes, with Ryan Reynolds, is it? Yeah, yeah, it sort of reminds me of that because you're seeing um, little bits come out uh, of why he's in the box here and there. It's kind of drip feeding it, isn't it? Of how, how did they end up there? Uh, it starts off with them there in that situation, but then you continue to watch the film to see why are they there. Yeah, that's right. So again, that's kind of, if you get into this movie, mm. you know, based on the fact that there's not a lot going on, Once you've watched it for about the sixth or seventh time, you can unpack that there's actually a lot going on, isn't there? Yeah, so much. And there seems to be quite a lot going on in our introduction as well. I mean, it's almost starting to sound like one of our post-plot discussions here. So so shall we park the biased love fest for now and and get into the plot of the movie? Absolutely, mate. (laughs) Fantastic. So Saw starts with a photographer named Adam who wakes up in a dilapidated bathtub with his ankle chained to a pipe. Across the room is oncologist Dr Lawrence Gordon, also chained, and between them is the corpse of an apparent suicide victim holding a revolver and a micro-cassette recorder. Both men find a tape in their pockets and Adam retrieves the recorder. Adam's tape urges him to survive, while Gordon's tells him to kill Adam by six o'clock or his wife Alison and daughter Diana will be killed. Adam finds a bag containing two hacksaws inside the toilet. And Danny, if you're led to believe that something of interest is contained in a toilet that is unknown to you, you always check the cistern first, don't you? Oh, of course, mate. That would be the obvious place. It would, but sadly it wasn't for Adam. And of course he doesn't have any means to wash his hands either, bless him. Yeah. But, <laughs> but both men try to saw through their chains, but Adam's saw breaks. Gordon realises that the saws are intended for their feet and identifies their captor as the jigsaw killer. A serial killer testing his victim's will to survive through lethal traps referred to as games, who Gordon knows of because he was once a suspect and what an open Danny it's a sparse but incredibly compelling 10 minutes and that bathtub opening in in particular is still particularly jarring however many times I watch this film yeah greatly said it's just like wow um it really grips you very very compelling stuff so five months prior Gordon while discussing the terminal brain cancer of patient John Kramer, was interrogated by detectives David Tapp and Stephen Singh, who found his pen light at the scene of one of Jigsaw's games. Gordon's alibi clears him, but he agreed to view the testimony of heroin addict Amanda Young, 
the only known survivor of one of Jigsaw's traps, who had been forced to kill and disembowel a man to obtain a key to free herself. After Gordon's release, Tap and Singh find Jigsaw's warehouse using the videotape from Amanda's game. There they apprehend Jigsaw and save a man from a trap. But Jigsaw injures Tap and escapes. Singh pursues Jigsaw down a hallway where he accidentally triggers a shotgun trap and is killed. And this particular section is where we see the infamous reverse bear trap scene that was lifted from the original short. And it certainly deserves to be put in here as it's very iconic and the most synonymous element of this franchise, isn't it? Absolutely, mate. I mean, that is just, it just makes you think, oh man, what's going to happen next? It is. And yeah, it's kind of one of the big things that uh, your standard horror fans will enjoy about Saw are the very imaginative traps that are interspersed throughout this movie and uh, we, we will be discussing the traps in our post plot discussion but yeah I mean if you're prepared to go into it deeply enough almost everything in this film is a trap isn't it yeah and that's what I love about it, is just thinking what's going to happen next where's the next trap coming from it leaves you paranoid it's like what what's going to happen next especially after the shotgun trap you're like wow anything can happen now yeah it really could that that's the thing it's like while i've said that this is a film where not an awful lot happens what does happen tends to be in kind of like 10 15 minute bursts doesn't it kind of between the conversations between the two main actors so yeah there's there's an awful lot going on uh but i will ask you now mate do you have a particularly favorite trap in this film hmm I wouldn't say I have a favourite one, I, other than the um, just the overall um, saw when they're chained together, and the fact that you have to use the saw for your leg. Um, mm. I would say that because that one was the one that really made me feel, oh, it made me feel sorry for it, all the both the characters. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say that one. But how about you, mate? Do you have one? For this film, yes, mate, I do. Um, I actually thought that the razor wire maze was quite clever. Yeah. The way that it goes about it, especially when, you know, he's seen this chap who seemingly has everything, isn't satisfied with his lot and he tries to kill himself. So he gives him the ability to kind of see how much he views his own life. But in yeah. doing it, he has to practically kill himself to solve the puzzle, which, uh, yeah, that really spoke to me a lot in kind of, it's very visceral, but it's also very clever, you know. Yeah, very intelligent. It does. And I think this shotgun trap is quite brutal as well and, mm. and very clever because it ties into Tap's obsession with taking the killer down. And I love the premise with all of these traps that the jigsaw killer is taking these people and putting them into seemingly impossible situations in an effort to make them appreciate life. It's sick, don't get me wrong, but it makes for a good story, especially yeah. as the Jigsaw Killer story gets fleshed out more over the franchise, you know. Yeah, big time, mate. So in the present day, Alison and Diana are held captive at their apartment as their captor watches Adam and Gordon through a hidden camera. The house is simultaneously being watched by Tap, who, after being discharged from the police following Singh's death, has become obsessed with the Jigsaw case and remains convinced that Gordon is the killer. And we've got to talk about Danny Glover's portrayal of the unhinged former police detective, mate. 
don't we? I mean, to be able to get an actor that renowned for your first movie is a major get. And he certainly displays his range here, doesn't he? Oh, he really does, mate. I loved um, the, the fact that they got him for this film. He plays, especially the scene scenes where you see him just, he's basically cracked. And it's like, he wants to take the... Um, the killer down and he's like i know it's him i know it's, i have to prove it's him and you, it's very relatable very relatable indeed mate and of course it ties into how adam and lawrence find themselves together but in the meantime lawrence finds a box containing two cigarettes a lighter and a one-way cell phone he recounts his abduction in a parking garage by a pig masked figure Adam recalls his own abduction when he returned home to find a puppet in his dark room where he stored photos of Gordon. And again, we're starting to see a lot of the recognisable elements of the franchise, aren't we? The yeah. pig master complex, the puppet that's actually the puppet master, and more importantly, characters that we get to like in the movie who aren't quite all what they appear to be. Yeah. And this is so good because it just intrigues you to think um, who is basically going to turn next. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it is really cool. So Alison is held at gunpoint and she calls her husband and warns him not to believe Adam. Adam admits to God paid by Detective Tap to spy on him and reveals his knowledge of Gordon's affair with one of his medical students whom he'd visited the night he was abducted. Gordon deduces that the affair is the reason why he's being tested. Adam finds a photo of Alison and Diana's captor, whom Gordon identifies as Zepp Hindle, a hospital orderly. And again, we get another of the Saw franchise's tropes, the flashback sequences that flesh out the stories of the protagonists and antagonists. And it's certainly a clever way to keep costs low. But yeah. a lot of movies in the horror genre weren't doing this. It's it's genuinely one of the tropes I love about the franchise, too. Yeah. And as something that, just, as you say, continues to the next couple of films. And it's just like, wow, how can that like, you, you definitely saw more um franchises uh take from saw like you said earlier about hostel and that's something they also took as well in terms of with the characters yeah like saw was one of the great pioneering movies i think in kind of the horror genre getting a bit more respect like you know we're at a time now where we can see actors getting oscar nominations or bafta nominations for being in horror movies now and you wouldn't have got that back in the 80s and 90s would you no, definitely not. Um, the closest thing to that, I believe, there, there was a Horror Hall of Fame uh, in the 90s, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, yeah. Yeah, I've seen a few clips of that on YouTube, but it just didn't look serious. But as you're saying, now horror characters um, like from films like Get Out, um, they gain massive, massive props, and it's nice to see. It is, because you know, people would have still had the stigma around that time that you know, if you appear in horror movies, then you, you can't be that good of an actor. But when you look these days, you know, you've got people like, going back to Get Out, you've got guys like Daniel Kaluuya, who is a, a classically trained actor and a fantastic actor at that. And that was his breakout role in the United States, when you think about it. Yeah, exactly, mate. Mm. So the clock strikes six, and Zepp, seeing that Gordon has still not killed Adam, moves to murder Alison and Diana. But Alison frees herself and fights him, 
and this struggle attracts Tap's attention, and he saves Alison and Diana before chasing Zepp to the sewers, where he's shot in the chest after a brief fight. Gordon, only aware of the gunshots and screaming, is shocked and loses reach of the cell phone. In desperation, he saws off his foot and shoots Adam with the corpse's revolver. Zepp enters the bathroom to kill Gordon, but Adam, having survived the gunshot, bludgeons him to death with a toilet tank lid. Gordon crawls out of the bathroom to find help, while Adam searches Zepp's body for a key. He finds another tape, revealing that Zepp was just another victim of Jigsaw following rules to obtain an antidote for a slow-acting poison in his body. Upcoming gush alert, Danny, but this is all so clever like every possible plot hole is covered in minute detail there is very little to poke holes in regarding the story progression here isn't there very true mate and it's that that um scene where um he just went for the uh just smashed um zepp's face in with the uh the lid of the toilet um it was just crazy i just I, even back then i remember just thinking it's not too much, but it's on the line of too much because that was so brutal looking. It really was, especially when you consider like because an awful lot isn't happening in this film. Stuff like this really stands out, doesn't it? Like yeah. this, this is what gets you thinking that you know this is an out and out horror film because when something does happen, it stands out so much from what is actually happening. That yeah, it it just it really leaves an impression on you, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think the lighting in the um, bathroom scenes is just perfect as well because it's just enough to make it like not overly scary, but just really, like you were saying earlier, really realistic. Yeah, you can kind of believe that they didn't have any of the fancy lighting effects to make this look so grungy. You kind of get the impression that these are actually from the lights that they've got running for the building itself. Yeah, Especially in a disused um, bathroom, it's like they wouldn't put brand new lights in there. So these have been here a while. And then the corpse that has been in the room for a while rises and is revealed to be John Kramer, a.k.a. the real jigsaw killer. (laughs) You're going to be all right. You're just wounded in the shoulder. I have to go and get help. If, if I don't get help, I'm going to bleed to death. Don't leave me. No. 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 someone back I promise we're gonna be okay
Interesting person. His name is John. He has an inoperable frontal lobe tumor. I'm sick from the disease eating away at me inside. Sounds like our friend Jigsaw. I'm sick of people who don't appreciate their blessings. Looks like our guy likes to book himself front row seats to his own sick or demons. Hello, Mark. Hello, Dr. Gordon. I want to play a game. People are so ungrateful to be alive, but not you, not anymore. Game over. He tells Adam that the key to his ankle chain was in the bathtub, but it had gone down the drain when Adam had first woken up and accidentally drained the water. Horrified, Adam attempts to shoot John with Zepp's gun, but John electrically shocks him through his chain, exits the bathroom before sealing the door, leaving Adam to die. And what a twist, buddy. It has got to be one of, if not the best endings to a horror movie that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, that was so good. I, the first couple of times I saw this, I forgot that that... Um 
that uh, the body was actually alive and it was just makes you feel oh wow he was there the entire time he heard everything he basically was just playing dead and then got up and then just yeah what a swerve indeed it is incredibly clever and a great way to end the movie and you know this is probably what has made saw such an incredible moneymaker and i think the financial success of this first movie is almost unbelievable when you consider the original budget isn't it yeah absolutely mate you i mean you said it earlier at the beginning but this shot in 18 days that's that just blew my mind it was like what 18 days that's just nothing these days that's it like everything is like basically short 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 whether it's the amount of days or the amount of money and talking of money Wanell and Wan initially had $30,000 to spend on the film, but as the script developed, it was clear that more funds would be needed. So there were several failed attempts to get the film off the ground in their native Australia, where the script was optioned by a producer in Sydney for a year before the deal eventually fell through. Several failed events in 2001 and 2002 prompted the duo to follow a friend's recommendation to take the concept to Los Angeles, where their chances could have been greater. Both men initially refused due to a lack of travelling funds, but it was their agent that eventually managed to convince them, and Wanell spent $5,000 of their initial budget to produce the short based on the reverse bear trap scene in order to build an interest in the script in the States, with Wanell playing the lead role in the short. Wanell had wanted to play the lead character in the feature film, so the short helped show that Wan and Wanell were a director-actor team rather than just wanting to sell the script, with Wan stating in interviews that he and Lee just loved the project so much and wanted a career in filmmaking, so they stuck to their guns by saying, look guys, if you want this project, we're coming on board. Lee has to act in it and I have to direct it. And for the longest time, Danny, I had no idea that one of the lead actors had also written the script. And one has had an amazing career as a director as well, hasn't he? Fantastic. I mean, I, I, I didn't know that until you just said it. It's, wow. He just, yeah, they, it just proves sticking to your guns and just like, just, um, just being true to yourself. It's like, it will get you places. It will. And they indeed went places. So in early 2003, they appeared in Los Angeles, where they met with producer Greg Hoffman. And it was Hoffman's friend that had pulled him into his office to show him the short, with Hoffman quoted to have said, about two or three minutes into it, my jaw hit the floor. Hoffman quickly showed the short and script to his partners Mark Berg and Oren Kules of Evolution Entertainment, the trio later formed Twisted Pictures as a horror genre production label, and the producers read the screenplay that night and two days later offered Wan and Winnell creative control and 25% of the net profits. Even though Wan and Winnell received better offers from studios like DreamWorks and Gold Circle Films, the larger studios were not willing to chance Wan's directing and Winnell acting in the lead role. In order to finance the film, Hoffman, Berg and Coolers put up a second mortgage on their Highland Avenue headquarters and Saw was given a production budget of between 1 million and 1.2 million. And while that budget's small, it's quite a step up from 30 grand, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, mate, in a major way. And it's just, 
yeah, you can just feel the passion that I mean they believed in this, and it really did pay off. Mm. Plus, as well, going back to our first episode of Disgusting Awful, you've just got to look at the low budget of a film like Hellraiser and what they managed to achieve based on passion alone. I mean, it yeah. can go a long way. It's not always about the money, is it? No, definitely not. It's more about the art and just what legacy you will leave. I mean, both franchises just have so many films now, and it's just fantastic. Yeah. And another thing that's fantastic about Saw is the excellent cast. And regarding casting, Carrie Elwes was sent the short film on DVD and immediately became interested in playing Dr. Lawrence Gordon in the film. And while he'll always be Robin Hood to me, he plays the likeable shit here very well, doesn't he? He really does, yeah. I mean, he, to me, he's my favourite character from the entire film. And, yeah, I really like him. Yeah. So Elwes reads the script in one sitting and was drawn in by the uniqueness and originality of the story. It also helped that Kules was Elwes's manager at the time, which can't have harmed his prospects at all, can it? No, it certainly couldn't. Only helped. (laughs) (laughs) And ever the professional character actor, he prepares for his role as an oncologist by meeting with a doctor at UCLA's Department of Neurosurgery. However, there was some unpleasantness at some point post-production, as in August 2005, Elwes filed a lawsuit against his management firm and producers of Saw, Evolution Entertainment, alleging breach of contract and unjust enrichment, stating that he was promised he would receive a minimum of 1% of the producer's net profits from the film, which hadn't happened, claiming that he only received $53,275 and a salary of $2,587.20. The case was later settled out of court and Elwes reprised his role five years later in Saw 3D. So all's well that ends well. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad that we got a happy ending out of that because, yeah, very, very important part of the story. It is, and no actor's ever going to turn down the chance of work, so it was just as well that things worked out in the end, eh? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And for the role of Amanda Young, Shawnee Smith, who was not a horror fan, initially refused the role, describing the script as horrific. However, after watching the short, she agreed to do it, which was the part that Wanell portrayed in the short. One off-handedly suggested Smith when his casting director asked who he wanted to play Amanda, as he had had a crush on her since his teenage years, and was surprised when his casting director secured her on the role. And that's a bit of a creepy fact, but okay. And again, she played the role perfectly, didn't she? She really did, and I was um, uh, um, there's hope that uh, there's rumours that she could be back for the um, next uh, Saw instalment, but I hope mm. so. That would be cool, and yeah, quite a surprise given what happens to that character in the future, giving nothing away, but there you <laughs> go. <laughs> maybe for a flashback scene or something. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we, we don't know what this is going to be, is it? Uh, you know, is it a reboot? Is it a remake? We yeah. we just don't know yet, do we? No, is it a prequel? Or... Uh, yeah, exactly. you're right. Yeah. yeah, it could be any of that, couldn't it? 
And Danny Glover was cast as Detective Tap, who is in pursuit of the Jigsaw Killer. I mean, we've already said how great he is, but Glover stated in an interview that there was something about the detective character at that particular point that attracted him to it. And as we say, he certainly puts a good shift in here, doesn't he? Oh, big time, mate. And the fact that he's got a little bit of age on him as well at this point, it just plays up to his character so well. And it's just like, you can tell that he's... His character is like someone who's been in the force for so many years and him having to take some leave and then basically crack throughout the film. Um, it just it just works so well. Yeah, it's kind of that grizzled veteran role, isn't it? You know, you, yeah. you, you probably couldn't have given this to a younger actor, to be fair. No, no, not at all. But yeah, uh, Danny Glover's a massive, massive Danny Glover fan. Yeah, same. And yeah, he's been in a, an awful lot of brilliant films. So it was nice that we've got to actually look at one for this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And on taking the role of Jigsaw, Tobin Bell said that he did Saw because he thought it was a fascinating location for a film to be made of three guys locked in a room. To him, it was a fresh concept and he didn't anticipate the ending when he read the script. So he was quite caught by surprise and it was clear to him that if the filmmakers shot that scene so well, the audience would be caught by surprise as well, making the film worth doing for that moment alone. But he also stated that he wanted to take the opportunity to work with Glover, who he had never worked with. So one primarily cast Bell because of his voice and uh, the role was initially offered to Mike Butters, who plays the role of Paul Leahy, you know, the, the jigsaw victim from the razor wire trap. Yeah, yeah. So the jigsaw killer is probably Turbin Bell's most recognisable role, but um, I did recognise him from such TV shows as The Sopranos and Walker, Texas Ranger. So he'd done a lot of things for TV, but not necessarily for film. Oh, no, that's really cool. And it's just like... um. It's nice that he's still um, going for it as well. He's still he's in practically all the Saw films and uh, he'll be going in this one. Yeah, he will, which again makes it more intriguing to see what it's going to be. However, Danny, the character of Jigsaw Killer did not come until months into the writing stage when Winnell was working at a job he was unhappy with and began having migraines. Convinced it was a brain tumour, he went to a neurologist to have an MRI and while sitting nervously in the waiting room, thought to himself, what if you were given the news that you had a tumour and you were going to die soon? How would you react to that? And this helped him to imagine the character of the Jigsaw Killer having been given one or two years to live and combine that with the idea of Jigsaw putting others in a literal version of the situation that he was in, but only giving them a few minutes to choose their fate, which is a really clever idea, really, when you look at it like that. That's an incredible backstory. And that is such a, I mean, yeah, I'm very, very impressed with that. Mm. And the actual idea of making this film into more of a a mystery thriller was always the plan from the beginning so while the saw movies kind of do ramp up the the gore and torture later on one had never intended for saw to be a torture porn film and the script had only had one short segment of torture but when he realized things were going well that's when the sequels had the plot more focused on some of those torture scenes which you can really see as a lot of the gratuity kind of steps up in the later films but it ends up getting associated with the whole franchise doesn't it rather than just those movies 
Yeah, big time, man. It's just, um, yeah. As as we go on with X, with uh, especially leading into the fifth uh, movie, you definitely see it all ramped up. And but this, I find the first. I mean, a lot of people would say this has the best story to it. Um, I would agree with that as well. Yeah, I would like. I enjoy the Saw films that I've seen for different reasons, to be honest. But for this first one and to an extent the second one but maybe not as much it is the story to be fair it fleshes out a lot it gets you wanting to see more and then as the films go on you you get more because it's always going back to what you've initially seen and how those things end up coming into being you know yeah how they end up connecting yeah that's right and of course we will cover those in great detail when we eventually look at sequels but one of the great things that led to this one movie becoming a franchise in the first place is to do with the distributors that picked up the film itself, which are franchise kings, Lionsgate, who had picked up the worldwide distribution rights at the 2004 Sundance Film Festival, days before the film premiered on January the 19th, 2004. Saw played to a packed cinema for three midnight showings to a positive reaction. It was also the closing film at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 18th, 2004. Lionsgate initially planned to release the film direct-to-video, but due to the positive reaction at Sundance, they chose to release it theatrically by Halloween. It was released on October the 1st, 2004 in the United Kingdom, October the 29th, 2004 in the United States, and December the 2nd, 2004 in Australia. The film was originally rated NC-17 by the Motion Picture Association of America for strong graphic violence, though after being re-edited, it was released with an R rating. And to promote the movie, and I think this is amazing, Lionsgate held a blood drive for the Red Cross called Give Till It Hurts and collected 4,249 pints of blood, but hopefully not from the same person. <laughs> We're certainly hoping not, no, but that, that is really cool. That's such a cool fact that really yeah. flies under the radar. It does, yeah. That, there's just something really cool about that, of like, you know, how how far are you willing to go to help save someone's life, maybe? But uh, it's it's a great way to promote a movie. Yeah, big time, mate. You certainly couldn't do it for an American Pie movie, though, could you? No. <laughs> Absolutely not, no. So from a box office perspective, Saw was extremely successful, opening at number three on Halloween weekend 2004 in 2,315 theatres in the US and grossed $18.2 million behind Ray, which made $20 million, and The Grudge, which made $21.8 million in its opening weekend. According to Lion Gate's exit poll, 60% of the mostly male audience was under 25 years of age. Saw had also become Lionsgate's second best opening after Fahrenheit 9-11's 23.9 million. On its second weekend, an additional 152 theatres were added, bringing the theatre count to 2,467. But it dropped to number four, making a still impressive 11 million, which was a 39% drop from the opening weekend. Across the pond, Saw opened in the United Kingdom to $2.2 million in 301 theatres, grossing a $12.3 million total in seven weeks. 
in Australia. It opened in 161 theatres with $1.2 million and totaled out to $3.1 million in six weeks. In Italy, the film opened on January the 14th, 2005 in 267 theatres to $1.7 million and grossed $6.4 million in six weeks. Saw opened to 1.5 million in 187 theatres in France on March the 16th, 2005, and made 3.1 million by the end of its four-week run. Saw would go on to gross 55.1 million dollars in the United States and Canada, and 47.9 million in other markets for a worldwide total of 103 million dollars. So it's safe to say that it did okay, Danny. Oh yeah, there's a big reason to see. Uh, to, now we see why they made so many sequels. Um, it's insane, insane money. It is insane. Uh, however, Danny, from a critical point of view, Saw's response was mixed at best, and this is where we start to get angry. I imagine by the end of this. But on review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 50% based on 191 reviews with an average rating of 5.6 out of 10. The site's critics' consensus reads, Saw ensnares audiences with a deceptively clever plot and a myriad of memorable, nasty set pieces, but its lofty ambitions are undercut by a nihilistic streak that feels more mean than profound. Metacritic gave the film a weighted average score of 46 out of 100 based on 32 critics, indicating mixed or average reviews. Audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of C plus to an A plus to F scale. When we look at individual reviewers themselves, Dennis Harvey of Variety gave the film a negative review after its Sundance premiere. He called it a crude concoction sewn together from the severed parts of prior horror serial killer picks. He called the screenplay convoluted, criticised the use of flashbacks within flashbacks and red herrings. He described the film as being too hyperbolic to be genuinely disturbing. Carla Mayer of the San Francisco Chronicle gave the film a positive review, saying that the film combined B-movie acting with a twisted mindset and visual tricks designed to camouflage cheap effects, and that it was terrifying at some points and insinuatingly creepy at many others. He called the killing scenes amazingly evocative for such a low-budget movie. Empire's Kim Newman gave the film four out of five stars, saying that Saw is styled like early David Fincher films and boasts an intricate structure. Complex flashbacks within flashbacks explain how the characters have come to this crisis and a satisfying mystery to go with its ghastly claustrophobia. He ended his review saying, as good an all-out non-camp horror movie as we've had lately. Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly gave the film a B-, calling it derivative and messy and too nonsensical for its own good. He described Jigsaw's intent as to show you the serial killer lurking inside yourself. Gleiberman would also criticise Elwes' performance by saying that he ought to be featured in a seminar on the perils of overacting. 
he compared the plot to Seven, saying that in a blatant imitation of Seven, Saw features a lunatic sadist whose ghoulish crimes are meant, in each case, to mirror the sins of his victims. The twist here is that the psycho doesn't do the killing. I've got to be honest, mate, going back to what this guy says about Carrie Elwes' acting throughout this film, maybe somebody should kidnap this guy's wife and child to see how he'd react, because I'll be very honest, I put myself in this character's place, and I think I'd respond in exactly the same way. I wouldn't call anything that Carrie Elwes did overacting, and that's not because I like him as an actor. This role is played brilliantly. Yeah, you said it greatly there, mate. It's just like... Like, why would you criticise that? Because that's something that that's basically the most realistic part of this film. It is. It really is. So I, I don't get it. I mean, I, I can understand n- not everybody is going to like these types of films, but I think that's just somebody just picking and finding faults. Because when you take away the fact that this is shot on a low budget there's not really anything else to pick at apart from maybe the fact that, yeah, maybe with an extra couple of million, the special effects could have been better. Yeah, definitely. It's just that raw human emotion. And it's like, oh man, just, I just can't see, but I know what you mean. Not everyone will like it, but yeah, to me, that's, that was the, um, the main part of this. Yeah. So going on with our reviews, the New York Times' Stephen Holden gave a mixed review, saying that the film does a better than average job of conveying the panic and helplessness of men terrorised by a sadist in a degrading environment, but is still not especially scary. What sets its demon apart from run-of-the-mill movie serial killers is his impulse to humiliate and torture his victims and justify it with some twisted morality. He said that the film is seriously undermined by the half-baked, formulaic detective story in which the horror is framed. Karina Chicano of the Los Angeles Times also gave the film a mixed review, saying that Saw is so full of twists it ends up getting snarled. For all of his flashy engineering and inventive torture scenarios, the Jigsaw Killer comes across as an amateur. Hannibal Lecter would have him for lunch. She said the film carelessly underscores its own shaky narrative at every turn with its mid-budget hokiness. She also noted that Elwes and Winnell had trouble keeping an American accent. <laughs> Again, talk about picking and finding faults. Who cares? Yeah, that's... Oh, why would you criticise something like that? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I struggle with an American accent, but I still do one. Yeah, I mean, you, you <laughs> would. You would. <laughs> Another mixed review comes from perennial disgusting awful favourite Roger Ebert, who gave the film two out of four stars and lamented the gimmicks and plot contrivances, but nevertheless described Saw as well-made and acted and does what it does about as well as it could be expected to. So because it's not too bad of a review from old Roger there, this month I've got to say, rest in peace, mate. Yeah, same here, but a very, um, almost like just uh, has nothing nice to say, so just says minimal kind of review, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. But to be honest, while I'm not that fair about some of Roger Ebert's reviews, because he he always seems to perk at the things that I enjoy, I I will admit he's one of the 
critics that I probably do respect when I see reviews for his films because he will try and give as balanced an account as he can. He will find the, the good in things where it's there. So I've got yeah. to say for that reason, while I don't always agree because there's some films I've really enjoyed that he doesn't, I would say that he's fair in his assessments yeah. a lot of the time. So that's something at least. Yeah, definitely, mate. Carrying on, Robert J. Laskowski of Champagne Burners, the News Gazette, said that Saw wants to be taken as another seven. There's that comparison again. Though it features perverse gross-out scenes and a villain with a superficially pedantic motive behind his crimes, his victims, if they survive, have learned to appreciate life more, it lacks the finesse and polish of the David Fincher film. When asked if the 1995 thriller film Seven was an inspiration to Saw, Wenell said that for him as a writer, yes, he means Seven was just a very well-constructed film, and if you're writing a thriller, it can't hurt to study it. In terms of the story, though, he and James never really felt Seven was that close to their film. But guesses if you stood back, you have two detectives chasing a psychopath who uses vile methods to teach people lessons. And those points echo Seven. What the writers have always liked about Saw, though, was the fact that the story is told from the point of view of two of the psychopath's victims instead of the police chasing after him. So that's fair enough. I mean, you know, they're they're kind of giving a bit of homage to the fact that there is some inspiration there. But I think it's just different enough to be separated from Seven, really. Yeah, same here, mate. So, on to some reviews that we might agree with. Horror review website Bloody Disgusting ranked the film number 10 in its list of the top 20 horror films of the decade, with the article calling Saw perhaps the most influential horror film of the decade. I'm increasingly beginning to like Bloody Disgusting, mate. <laughs> no, they're fantastic. That is very, um, uh, very realistic response. And the Daily Telegraph listed the film at number 14 in their top 100 list that defined the 2000s. And you can't deny that, really. Like, as a, as a standalone film, let alone a genre, Saw has done a lot more for the horror genre and for filmmaking as a whole, really, hasn't it? So it deserves yeah. to replace that high. Yeah, same here. But I've I've got to be honest, Danny. I mean, whether, whether a, a writer gives Saw a good review or a bad review, I think the reviews are mostly fair because as as much as I love Saw, it's more for the cleverly written story rather than any particular horror-based elements. So so like Juan had mentioned in his interviews, this film probably plays more like a thriller while the out-and-out -out horror comes out in the sequels. And like even when it was initially released, as opposed to now when it's come to be revered as a cult classic, the film garnered most of its appeal because of its own unique brand of psychological torment i think what what do you think yeah i would agree with that because it's like um as the um other reviewer was saying about like it's not from a police standpoint it's more from the victims or of but then you find out their story so yeah it would it would be more like that and i've got to say mate uh, i know we've kind of talked about this a little bit already but the one thing for me i think that makes saw a cult classic is its amazing twist ending. I mean, however much of a movie snob you are, the fact remains that film fans are suckers for a good twist. The ones that truly 
take our breath away. We, we love to have the rug pulled out from under our feet when we least expect it. And while Saw delivers that in spades, even as we're still guessing as to what's gone on, what adds to the appeal as a hit back then and a cult classic now is that the twist reveals a horror that's actually at the centre of the mystery the main characters are trying to solve. The villain was there the whole time and the characters' fates aren't just a matter of luck or making the right decision, but rather as a result of the villain's meticulous planning. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And the twist isn't just a minor detail of the movie. It's the movie's whole reason for being. Like, as such, the twist not only reveals a secret that was only hinted at before, but also emphatically and neatly ties up any loose ends to the story. You, You leave this film not asking any questions about the film itself, but more asking what is going to happen next yeah Uh, it's also put a massive bow on it it's like oh man but you also as you just said um you you're thinking what will happen next what happened after he shut that door did Mm. did they die did lawrence make it out of the um the warehouse it's just fantastic stuff it is i mean that 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 twist it isn't the end to a film it's just the beginning of the story, isn't it? Yeah, and that's so good. Mm. And another thing that has helped make Saw a cult classic are the iconic traps in this first film. So this is where I start to talk about where certain elements can be considered traps. So the very first trap that we have in Saw, which runs throughout the whole movie, believe it or not, is the concept of the bathroom as a trap itself. Yeah. So the victims of this particular trap are Adam Stanhate and Dr. Lawrence Gordon, both of whom are chained by their ankles to pipes in the corners of a dilapidated industrial bathroom across from each other. For this trap, Gordon has until six o'clock to kill Adam, otherwise his wife and daughter would be killed, whereas Adam merely has to survive until the end of the game. There are several clues and tools hidden all around the room. There's a plastic bag in the tank of the toilet with hacksaws, which could be used by the men to cut off their feet in order to free themselves from their shackles. While in a secret hollow space behind one of the walls is a box containing two cigarettes, a lighter and a mobile phone, which couldn't be used to make calls, but to receive them from the outside. Finally, a third man lies in a pool of blood in the middle of the room with a tape recorder in one hand and a gun in the other one. This man was actually John Kramer, the jigsaw killer, who observed the game and could electrocute the prisoners through their shackles with a remote control if they tried to somehow break the rules. And this trap ties in with Zepp Hindle's test. And for all the times of me watching this film before we came to review it, because I don't ever research anything until we start talking about it, I never thought to consider the bathroom setting as a trap. Yeah, it didn't me either, because it's the, I just thought that was the setting of the entire thing. But yeah, the whole thing is the trap, isn't it? We then get to my particular favourite trap, which is the razor wire maze trap. And the victim of this trap was Paul Leahy, who was trapped almost entirely naked in the back part of a basement. The largest part of the area is surrounded by a fence, and the door leading out of the basement is located on the other side of the room beyond the fence. 
the area in which Paul woke up was filled with countless tightened lines of razor wire. Paul has to find a way through the wire to eventually get to a hole in the fence leading to the exit door. The door is connected to a timer and closes after two hours, leaving Paul to die if he doesn't make it out before the timer expired. And of course he was never going to, was he? Absolutely not. As, as soon as that scene came on, I was like, there's no way you're making this out, mate. <laughs> no, and I think one of the things that stands out for this is how well it's shot. Yeah. Like, the the traps that we see here are in like very rapid flashback details, aren't they? And like again, it's something to do with the fact of how they've used the budget really well. But I think kind of you'll you'll see it when you look at the shorts, but kind of the the quick cuts of kind of the victims panicking and stuff has been going ever since the shot so it's it's an effect that's worked for them and they've incorporated it into this you you kind of get the image of of that's them with the idea racing through their mind that they've got to get out of here and quick you know you know kind of like when you when your brain has that stress response yeah it's it's very it very much plays out like that to me i think and i think that's what makes this trap stand out to me really yeah, and that's something I'm really looking forward to in the um, short, that they, the original short. Yeah. We also get to see this film effect again in the very well-shot, flammable jelly trap. The victim of this trap was a gentleman called Mark Wilson, who was trapped completely naked in a pitch-dark room, only lightened by a small candle. Furthermore, Mark has a flammable substance smeared on his body, as well as a slow-acting poison coursing through his bloodstream. The only antidote was hidden inside a heavy safe before him, but in order to open it, Mark had to find the combination among hundreds of numbers written all over the walls. Due to the darkness, he was forced to take the candle and walk to the walls to be able to see the numbers. While the entire floor of the room was covered in glass shards. And I tell you what, mate, it was around this time that I gathered that the jigsaw killer was a bit of a prick. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair statement. It's like especially the glass shards, it's like, oh man, you're just making it you're just making each um obstacle harder and harder to um, get past. And I, I, that's very smart, but yeah, you do feel for the victims. You do. And another smart trap is the reverse bear trap also known as the famous one. And the victim of this trap was the former drug addict, Amanda Young, who is strapped to the armrest of a chair in the middle of a large room and has a mechanical contraption, the aptly named reverse bear trap, locked onto her head. The frontal part of the trap was hooked into her upper and lower jaw. Once the game began, the trap would burst open and thereby rip her face apart if she wasn't able to unlock the trap within 60 seconds. The key was resting in the stomach of a gentleman called Donnie Greco, who was paralysed by an opiate overdose and therefore couldn't move. To obtain the key, Amanda had to slice open his stomach with a knife lying next to him. The reverse bear trap's jaws were forced together and held with tension. When the timer went off, the tension would be released, letting the jaws freely spread apart with deadly force. Thankfully, though, Amanda manages to escape and quietly disappears after the film ends, never to be seen again. Yeah, as you say, it's the famous one because um, it's on a lot of alternative um, posters and DVD, Blu-ray covers, um, and that's the one you think of when you think Saw, you think that bear trap because it was so unique. 
and it's just yeah it's just wild but yeah, yeah really really good stuff yeah it even appears in the saw video game as well actually now i think mm. about it is, is that was that on ps2 it was definitely on ps3 and xbox 360 yeah. um it might have been one of those games that was on like it was cross-platform so yeah there might be a version for the ps2 but it was a game that i quite enjoyed one to be honest yeah, uh, that's one I don't think I played, but I've seen plenty of um, highlights on YouTube and things like that. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, and then they had uh, a couple more, didn't they? They had Saw Flesh and Blood mm-hmm. and a couple, couple. Um, yeah, really, I think they have um, five or six or something. But I'll tell you something um, I forgot to mention at the top of the show. Have you been to Fort Park? Fort Park. I can't say I have, mate, to be honest. Oh, Fall Park had, I don't know if they still do, but they had Saw the Ride, and I've been on oh, wow. that, and it is fantastic. Um, I f- believe that's based off of all of the films, though, because it's just a, a, a um, roller coaster ride, but it's, um, it is really, really good. You get a little cup at the end of it and things like that, but it is really good. But we'll get into the merchandising and things after. We will. Oh, that's really cool, though. So I'm... I'm imagining you don't have that awesome beard because they put a reverse bear trap on you then. No, <laughs> I went on that um, 2013, I believe. Yeah, All right. that was oh, cool. well before I could be able to grow a beard. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. So the next trap in the sequence was the infamous drill chair trap, which again is another impossibly cruel one. The victim of this trap was Jeff Reidenhauer, who was strapped, chained to a seat, and had a metal brace around his neck, which was connected to the chair's fixed recline and prevented him from moving his head away. To the left and right of him were two identical contraptions, each one with a drill attached to it. The drills point at Jeff's head, and once the trap is activated, the contraptions slowly move towards Jeff. Therefore, the drills would pierce his head if he didn't manage to somehow escape the trap within 20 seconds and you've got to think about the sick mind that comes up with a trap like that don't you oh big time eh? it's just that it's unique but it's like there are actually real people who think of things like this (laughs) oh yeah and i can think there's a person that thought of the quadruple shotgun hallway trap which is the one that brings out detective tap's obsession with bringing the jigsaw killer down the victim of this trap was his own partner detective stephen singh This trap was designed as a security device to secure Jigsaw's hideout in an abandoned mannequin factory. It was set up in a hallway and consisted of four double-barrelled shotguns suspended from a wooden ceiling beam. The trigger of each shotgun was connected to a tripwire which was strung across the hallway below. When the victim stepped on the tripwire, the shotguns would go off, simultaneously killing the person below. And that is a nasty way to go, isn't it? Oh, just from all angles, getting shot, just almost like a firing squad sort of uh, thing. But yeah, brutal. And then finally, we get Zepp Hindle's test, which is a trap in itself. And I've got to say, while he's supposed to be viewed as a villain, I felt really sorry for poor Zepp, who had a slow acting poison in his blood, which would kill him within a few hours. So you can see the desperate situation he was in, couldn't you? Absolutely, mate. I mean, that's all you got for him throughout the film. It was like um, he was just so desperate to get that antidote. 
and you just feel bad because you do think he's a bad guy throughout some of the films, but mm. really in hindsight, yeah, he was just a a um, innocent orderly who was disrespected, and then this happens to mm. him. So such a shame. And he was a guy that personally liked Kramer. Like he actually took the effort to know his name and everything, and yeah, and like this is how he was repaired. I mean, you know to. To be given a slow-acting poison in his blood and then to be told that to obtain the antidote, he has to abduct Alison and Diana Gordon, the wife and daughter of Dr. Lawrence Gordon, and has to hold them hostage for the duration of Lawrence's game, which he then has to observe over a surveillance monitor. So if Lawrence fails to kill his opponent, Adam Stanhyke, by 6am, Zepp would then have to kill Alison and Diana, while Lawrence was forced to listen to their death over a phone. So this trap is tied in to the bathroom trap. And it's this trap that's what separates Zepp from being a real villain and shows him instead as a man desperate to fight to stay alive, just the same as Adam and Lawrence. And yet he doesn't get viewed in the same light, does he, really? No, no, and it's such a shame. But, yeah, great character, though. He absolutely is. Um, and very quickly too, mate, um, well, I don't know how quick it's going to be if, if you want to talk about merchandising, but the first piece of merchandising that I wanted to point out is the awesome soundtrack to this film. It's very cheap to buy. It's even cheaper to just stream it on YouTube. So get it listened to. But the yeah. best song closes us out, which is Bite the Hand That Feeds by the awesome Fear Factory. Oh, fantastic. And what a great um, song to actually, an appropriate song as well, isn't it, throughout the film? Totally. Yeah, it's it's very symbolic, really, isn't it, of kind of, you know, you can, you can view the Jigsaw Killer as either a psychopath or a very cold and calculated man that just wants to see the best in people. And if you listen to the lyrics of this song, there's a lot of that running through there, isn't there? Yeah, definitely, mate. Mm. And we will probably close with some of that on this episode, guys, so do please listen out. So, um, let's have a very quick talk about merchandising, mate. Is there anything in particular that uh, stood out to you uh, for the original Saw? Um, just to go back to the uh, sort of the rides, the theme park, I'm just having a quick look at up here now. Um, I do remember it was like um, it was a couple minutes long, um, but you do get a cup at the end of it. And if I can dig that out, we'll put it on the um, social medias. But um, I mean, nothing too. Um, there have been unique like Blu-rays and uh, DVDs um, of it and stuff like that, but nothing really big about um like collecting figures or anything like that but how about yeah. you mate did you um i know you were showing me uh, something earlier yeah so the the most recent box set that came out uh in 2021 um is quite a cool bit of packaging it plays in a lot to the very sparse colors of the original film itself but apart from that i mean a lot of what i saw was very standard really i mean a friend of mine had a a T-shirt of the the sawn off foot. You know what became the cover for the original DVD. Yeah. But one of the things that I always felt that they missed a trick on is well, it was probably because people would associate it with the franchise that I'm going to mention here. But you can buy Hellraiser box sets where, in order to access the films, you've got to solve the Martian puzzle location that the films are in right 
Yeah. So one of the things that I thought would have been a cool idea is to have the box set for the definitive Saw movies once they decided they were going to end the franchise as a very intricate but non-harmful trap that you had to solve. Oh, that would have been brilliant. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, it, it got me thinking about it because I, I recently re-watched the first Resident Evil horror movie, which, while it's not brilliant, there's just something about it that really appeals to me. And one of the special features in that film is based on you paying attention to the key code that the workers are putting in at the start of the film to access one of the rooms. And if you put the right code in, it unlocks the music video for Your Plague by Slipknot, which is the main song that is on the soundtrack. So it got me thinking about that idea of kind of, you know, solving puzzles to get to something you want. And I thought it would have been a a cool concept for people to kind of, you know, access the films in the box set, you know, that they had to to solve a trap. I mean, obviously it'd be a, a trap that would have to reset or else it makes the whole concept of buying the box set pointless because you'd never get to watch the films but i just thought it was a really cool idea no that really is cool you should get on to uh, someone about that because that that i'll definitely buy that yeah yeah well good i'm i'm glad that two of us would and of course (laughs) as always the um seemingly inevitable lego saw set that will probably come about one of these days yeah that would be i'm I'm sure has that been released because i'm sure i've seen something of that so there is a forum on a official lego fans group where they can put forward concepts and to be honest like lego have picked up on a lot of them so uh, i'm a massive fan of the back to the future franchise and one of the things that i've got is a a lego delorean which was a concept that was put together on this fan group that lego then picked up on and then they go for certain franchises based on what ideas they'd like so you know there might always be a kind of avenue for people to, I mean, you'd have to order it online. They couldn't sell it in Smiths or anything like that. But I've always liked the idea of kind of like Legoized versions of horror franchises. I think um, a friend of mine actually, uh, he's, he's come back to live in Hull now, but when he married his wife, they moved to Cumbria so she could go to university. They weren't that young. But he ended up working in a unofficial Lego store. So they kind of created their own concepts and sold them on basically and he did a lot of things based on popular franchises it was mostly stuff like zelda or lord of the rings or stuff like that but he was always interested in what people wanted and he'd commented that somebody wanted to build a a night of the living dead set wow yeah so yeah who knows maybe one day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe one day the boys at lego i mean there's got to be one sick puppy in there somewhere might actually um craft the the bathroom set with removable feet maybe who knows yeah fingers crossed mate <laughs> so mate i could honestly talk about saw all day but i think we'd get too much into the timeline and spoil the following episodes that we're going to do on sequels so just to tie a bow in this what are your final thoughts on the 2004 original? Um, to me, it's just the best one, hands down. Um, I'm not, uh, uh, yeah, so far it's the best one, hands down. I'm hoping uh, this year's will equal it, if not beat it. But, yeah, it was just fantastic. Um, 
good memories of it as from being a teenager and yeah just just one that probably the one that i've watched the most um i would say because um yeah yeah it's definitely the most watchable one to me um yeah that'll be my thoughts mate how about you yeah so it's probably the one that i've watched the most as well and not just this week either but as a whole and i think the true success of saw as i've previously mentioned is the excellent script and underrated story as a viewer you're left wanting more and the writers get it so i wouldn't call this an out and out horror um it's more of a psychological thriller with horror elements as previously mentioned but of all the films i think this one has aged the best it's a definite cult classic and an excellent setup for what is an excellent character study on what could push a man to get his revenge on a world that he feels has wronged him. It gets the standard score from me, which is a very emphatic get it watched. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Awesome. We couldn't put it any better, could we? No, definitely not. No. So, mate, since this was your choice, um, I suppose it's my turn to reveal to the boys and ghouls what we're going to be doing next, isn't it? Yeah, but let's hear it. Well, Danny, um, I think our next episode is going to be quite special as we're going to have our first guest on. And it's a return to a franchise that we've covered on a previous episode. So we spent some time maybe about a year ago now celebrating the excellent Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984 we also took the time quite rightly i might add to lambast the 2010 remake well our good friend and pod parent dan griffin revealed his love for the remake during the recording of our cold cuts episode that we did together so he is going to join us next episode to discuss and defend that travesty so danny i'm very sorry but i'm going to have to ask you to watch the remake and i'm looking in a mirror now chris i'm very sorry but i'm going to have to force you through alcohol or otherwise to watch that terrible movie that makes you cry oh definitely mate it's in my and i apologize to you because for this space in my box set of Nightmare on Elm Street uh, collection. I've put it oh. in a little slipcase in one of the um, in the folds of the DVD box set, so I know exactly where that remake is. Oh. But I am actually looking forward to it because I get to sit down with you two legends. Oh, mate, you're too kind. Uh, but yeah, I'll I'll be honest. I'm very much looking forward to talk to Dan. And I mean, who knows? Maybe I might grow to like this film based on what he said. I can be very easily convinced at times. As can I, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, boys and ghouls, we are now free. We have solved the puzzle. We have broken the trap. And we are now back in the Skoda Rapid, heading out to the leafy suburbs of Middle America. It's going to be rubbish. However, in the meantime, and in between time, Take care and don't be scared. <laughs> 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 <laughs>